Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I'm streaming from downtown Idaho Falls, Idaho. It was uh, hot as usual as everywhere in the West, uh, but the nice thing was it kind of had a nice thunderstorm last night, which was pretty cool. In fact, when Lindsay and I were flying out of Salt Lake, we were one of the last flights out, I guess, because they closed the airport afterwards because there was... I'm assuming thunderstorms because we saw the clouds coming and in Idaho Falls, there was a lot of it. So um, I'm happy to be here today as always. And we did have a last minute can- cancellation. Um, Dr. Salika uh, had an emergency with a patient. So we will reschedule her. And today I'm going to do an update on my weight loss journey. As many of you um, know, um, I've struggled with my weight my entire adult life and really it all started probably well probably right after college um i never really um i i you know not that i was i could i was struggling my last few years of college probably um but i wasn't struggling as much as when i got out of college and here's part of the reason why um i didn't have money to overeat that much in college. And that is just the honest to gosh truth. One of the problems with us being a modern society in America is we largely, um, most of us have basically an unlimited food supply. Uh, Think about it when we go home, when we go to our homes, our fridge, our freezers, our pantries are full of food. I bet you in our house, I have food for, if you look at the dried goods, like, um, you know, beans and things like that, that we have quite a bit of, I bet we have food for maybe two years. Uh, we just bought a beef recently, uh, full beef, and we have two freezers full of beef. That alone would probably feed my, my me and my wife for over two years. So, um, and that's part of the problem. We have an unlimited food supply. So when I was in college, I couldn't afford too much food. So. Um, that's part of the reason why I didn't get obese. So after college, when um, you know I did have more resources, I started struggling with my weight more. And partly it was is I I, I blame it a little. I blame it mostly on my diet. I was not trained how to eat very well when I was younger. And you know I grew up in the what do they call it the nuclear generation. And, you know, I was really probably my generation was probably really the first generation of kids that really was introduced to processed foods. If you think about it, processed foods really didn't come about until post-World War II. So in the 1950s, even the 1940s, right after the war, even during the war effort, um, why did we come up with processed foods? Well, when you look at the history of processed foods, a lot of it started with military rations and military food because, you know, governments needed a way to feed military people without the food rotting. So we came up with processed foods. And, you know, it's a great way to store food for long periods of time um, without it rotting. And previously, you had to have fresh food or you had to have refrigeration. And, you know, that was not very convenient um, back in those days. So we came up with processed foods. And obviously the problem with processed foods is they are very calorically dense and you don't have to prepare them. So 
what happens when you have a calorically dense food that you can basically throw another one in the microwave or um, oven really quick without having to prepare it. it. It gives you a tendency to overeat. Now, also some would argue that processed foods um, are less expensive than eating healthy. Um, I think we've, I with my twin brother Shane, uh, I think we've had a podcast on discussing how that's not necessarily the case. So don't let somebody talk you into believing that eating healthy is expensive. Because first of all, like my wonderful wife Janet says, either you pay now or you pay later. So first of all, it's cheap insurance. Um, and so the processed foods, what I say about processed foods is, or what I tell people in general about eating healthy is that if it doesn't rot, don't eat it. And what that really means is stay away from mostly processed foods. So think about it. If, it, if something rots, that means bacteria or fungus can eat it or grow on it. If if they can't, then that's probably a problem. And how can we assimilate those foods into um, our bodies? It makes it a little bit more difficult, um, but it makes it a little bit, uh, it, it, it obviously it's gonna be more difficult for us to assimilate those nutrients if bacteria and fungus can't even, can't even thrive on them. So a little bit about my weight, lo my weight loss journey. So uh, based on when I got out of college, I was 23 years old and I really struggled with my weight and it probably wasn't until I was like 25 where I really, my first weight loss program when I was 25, um, where I, you know, I started doing some exercise. And what it was, was I would still eat like crap. I would eat like crap, but I tried to exercise my way out of a bad diet. And that is just impossible. You cannot exercise your way out of a bad diet. There are three things we can do to stay healthy. And that is eat, exercise, and sleep. Out of those, sleep is the most important. We'll die without sleep before we die without food. Eating is second. Um, and exercise is third. We do not have to exercise to stay healthy. Now, we will be healthier if we exercise, but in general, to stay ideal body weight, there are many people that stay ideal body weight. I should say ideal body composition. We can get into that later too. Um, ideal body composition because um, they just change their diet. They don't, they don't exercise regularly. So I, I'm a big proponent of exercise because not only does it help you stay closer to an ideal body composition and usually promote lean body mass, especially if you're doing some kind of resistance training, but it also can help combat depression and many other problems. I think exercise is the most under-prescribed prescription uh, um, around. So exercise should be prescribed quite commonly. So when I was 25, I tried to exercise my way out of a bad diet and it didn't work very well. Um, and then roller coaster ride for the next 15 years. And I remember in 2002 when, and I was still going to the gym. I was a, a power lifter at the time. And so I was lifting a lot of heavy weight, which really, since I was 14, I've been lifting weights. And that, um, you know, has helped me in, you know, in my later years, in my 40s and 50s, to, to be able to build lean body mass easier and um, more effectively. Um, that's why it's so important to start working out early and do a resistance training early. And it is never like when I was a kid, they would tell you, oh, don't don't start lifting weights until you're at least 14 because it stunts your growth and all this crap. That is baloney. I didn't buy it then. I don't buy it now. 
Um, were kids doing hard manual labor when they in their when they were ten, five, six, seven, eight years old back on in the um, on on farms? Absolutely. So why should we wait until people are 14 to start doing resistance training? That's ridiculous. Start as soon as they are able to start doing resistance training. Do it. Have them start lifting heavy things. That reminds me, I'm going to have a podcast on that also about um, lifting heavy things and um, endurance training. And are we endurance athletes or are we not? Um, Because there's a lot of talk about going around that, you know, cardio is overrated and, you know, endurance athletes got a lot of inflammation going on and it's not good for you. And, and, you know, of course I am an endurance athlete, so I'm pretty supportive of it, but I'm also a weightlifter. So I'm supportive of that also, but I want to be able to argue both sides and um, you don't want to miss that. I, I can't remember the date, but stay, you know, watch my Facebook page as we stream live from my Facebook page. And for updates, and we will let you know about that. Dr. Pran, we've had him on before. He's a gastroenterologist, and he's also a weightlifter. So, and he really does follow a lot of a lot of science. So you don't want to miss out on that. So in 2002, when my youngest son was born, I actually stopped going to the gym. I was going to the gym two to three days a week, lifting heavy stuff. Um, and then in 2002, he was born, and it was just a I was going to say a good excuse, but it was a bad excuse for me to not go to the gym. So I quit going to the gym and my weight, I really struggled with my weight. Uh, And then I struggled with my weight for um, another seven, eight years. And then I just started doing some thinking. I struggled with my weight and that, that there's me in 2009. I took that in December, 2009. My wonderful wife, Janet took that picture and, um, I knew how bad I looked. I look at that now and it just completely disgusts me. I do not want to go back to that. So, but one of the things that motivated me was, you know, my, my kids at the time were nine and seven years old. And I realized it's like, you know, I was almost 40 at the time. I was 39 at the time. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to go into my forties being fat. Uh, and I want to be able to be active with my kids. Um, you know, I mean, when boys get to be teenagers, they, they should be active. If they're not, they should be. Uh, and I wanted to be active with them. I wanted to be able to still outrun them and out, you know, outperform them on a bike and, and outlift them and, and all kinds of things like that. And, um, so I knew I had to do something. So through our pharmacy, we had a, what was called the HCG weight loss program, and um, I lost 56 pounds in four months, maybe five months, four months. I can't remember. And uh, it was it was a good journey, and I and I did it by, you know, by limiting my calories, um, severely limiting my calories. So there I am after, and I want to. We'll be showing me some more recent pictures of me, um, and about how important it is to remember. I talked about lifting and maintaining lean body mass. We'll. We'll um, show you some of those pictures too, uh, most recently. So uh, I, I did. I, I I got to my goal weight. I actually had a I had a goal weight of I started out at two twenty seven, and my goal weight was one eighty. And I'm I'm a big believer in setting achievable goals. So you know, for those of you that are struggling with your weight and you want a goal weight, you want to set a goal. Don't don't set don't set some lofty goal that you're not going to be able to meet. Meet. I mean, set a Set a a realistic goal first, and then set maybe a stretch goal later, or or even a stretch goal 
while you're setting a realistic goal. But, and, you know, in general, especially for men, you know, unless they were obese in high school, don't set a goal that you're going to be the same weight that you were in high school. Cause in general that works for some men, but in, for most men that, that wouldn't work because we still put on a lot of lean body mass after, after high school. Now for some women that would work because most women don't put on or they shouldn't put on a lot of weight after high school. Um, most of them do, but that's that usually they shouldn't, but men because of testosterone, we gain a lot more lean body mass afterwards. And that's when, um, Usually our deltoids and our pecs start to grow and things like that. So, um, so set a realistic goal. And I so I set a realistic goal. My realistic goal was 180, and I got to 180, and I was still you know losing weight, and I wanted to get even lower. So I got to 170. That picture is when I was at 170. So that's 57 pounds actually. I might have started out at 226. I can't remember, but I remember it being 56 pounds. So. Um, you know, and then, I mean, a few months later, a few years later, when I started exercising regularly, I, I, um, I got down to 163. So, but I did it with diet alone. Remember how important I told you diet was diet first, exercise second. In 2013, my kids were, um, learning a little bit, you know, Sean Michael, my oldest son would have been 13. It would have been May of 2013. He was 13. He was 13, and Jordan, my youngest, was 11. And he and Sean Michael brought his brought a question up to me. He's like, "Dad, they were actually we had him in a private school in Moses Lake, and um, their PAP teacher had turned them on to Insanity Beachbody, and um, I never really heard of it um, because I just hadn't done a lot of." After I got out of college, I just didn't do a lot of research on exercise anymore. So, so I, Sean Michael's like, well, Dad, I want to do the Insanity program, and it's a ninety-day program. If you, if we can do a link to that, Lindsay, that would be great. Um, I, I, I like the Team Beach Body stuff. I like Sean T. Um, and it started off on us on a journey of exercise. So, so I'm like, well, you know, he was only thirteen, and he hadn't really. They had a great PE teacher at. Um, the Christian school called uh, named Larry Bickle, which is interesting because I just saw him last week when I was in Spokane, and um, they kind of taught him about. He taught um, the kids about insanity, and um, I think P90X too, also possibly, maybe not, but insanity. Anyway, so Shawn Michael comes to me, he's like, "Dad, I want to do insanity," and I'm like, "Well, I guess that means you want me to do it with you," <laughs> and. It's a 90-day program, if I remember right. 90 or 60 days? It is 90 days? 60. 60? Okay. It's a 60-day program. And um, if I remember right, it's six days a week and seven and then Sundays off. I can't remember that. I Although the Saturday is a light day or something, I believe. Anyway, I think it's six days a week. Anyway, so we started this in May of 2013. And... We just started as a goal. We started as we started working out as a family, or me and the kids. Janet did not get involved yet, and um, it was just a wonderful experience with with my kids and I. And um, and we would we made it we made it our priority. And exercise should be a priority. And so many people, they oh I don't have time to exercise. Well, how much time do you spend on your phone screwing around on Facebook? Or any other kind of social media, and believe me, I'm guilty of it. I'm definitely guilty of it. Um, 
But we made it a priority. And I, there were some times where I have to travel for work, just as I do now. And um, so I would get my kids up at 4.30 in the morning, sometimes 4 o'clock in the morning. Because Insanity is a 60-minute, they're 60-minute workouts. And we would get up at 4, 4.30 in the morning. And my kids, for 60 days in a row, we never missed any of those workouts. And it started us on a great journey of, of exercise and um, started them off on a journey of just wanting to know more about it. And now, 10 years, well, what, eight years later, um, both my kids, they are rock stars. They work out regularly. They, you know, they, you know, they make exercise a priority. They go to the gym, um, you know, so it's, it's. I think that it's so important that you start that start them out when they are young. So the next program we did was actually T25. And here's a nice thing about that was T25, they realized insanity workouts were a little bit too long for most people. So they call it T25 for 25 minutes. It's also a Sean T program. And then we started that and we actually started that and Janet started doing that one with us. And there's an alpha and a beta and later on there's a gamma to, um, those are really fun workouts. If you get a chance, please check into those. They're 25 minutes. They're actually, honestly, with the stretch and stuff, I remember right. They call them 25 minutes because 30 minutes sounds a lot longer than 25 minutes. But it's really more like 28 to 30 minutes. They are they are good workouts. They add some resistance training in the beta version, a lot of resistance training in the gamma version. And then we did another program called T20, T, let's see, Insanity Asylum. And it's like super, super advanced. And actually, we did Insanity Asylum with my kids. This is amazing. I can't believe we did this. We did Insanity Asylum and T25 Gamma. And I think it was that's for 30 days or 45 days. And that means we did two workouts a day for 45 days. And I can tell you, we were, I was, I was, you know, struggling by the end of the 45 days, but it was a great, great workout. And it started my kids on a great journey of how important exercise was. So, but I never started losing, I never started any exercise when I did my weight loss program um, until then. That's when I really first started incorporating exercise. And then after about a year of working out with my kids, um, I sat them down, I told them that, um, you know, I'm going to, put them off on their own. They, I'm going to, you know, let them go on their own because I think they were qualified to do it. And, you know, it would give them, um, empower them to make their own, own health choices. So I started doing my own thing when it came to mountain bike racing and training for that. And they, they, they started doing their own thing. So, um, you know, the interesting story is too, that I need to back up a little bit. Let's see. No, let's see. That would have been, yeah, during that time too, in my weight loss journey, in let's see, it would have been 2012, I believe. So right after before we started working out, it might have been 2013. I think Jordan was 12. Jordan has a weight loss story too. My youngest son, you know, he he eats like I eat, and he, now he doesn't anymore. Although maybe he could, I don't know. He doesn't, but because um, he's a rock star, he's ripped. He's you know he's in great shape, um, but he could eat anything in front of him. And that was exactly like me. And so he struggled with his weight when he was younger. And um, there's a journey with him losing weight. And, you know, he was morbidly obese when he was, was um, 10, 10 or 11 years old. 
And so part of the journey was, is that, you know, if I didn't motivate myself and make changes to my own weight, would my family have ever done it? You know, would my wife have ever started working out with us? Would my son have lost weight? My oldest son never struggled with his weight, but that doesn't mean just because you're, remember, just because you're not overweight does not mean that you're healthy. Um, you know, there's a lot of skinny fat people that are, you know, in horrible shape because we have something called visceral fat in us. And that's why exercise is important. I mean, I stress that eating is more important, but exercise is very, very important. But I love sharing this story. So, um, and it's a dynamic story. Why is it dynamic? Because, you know, you don't just lose weight and say, oh, eh, there, I'm done. I got my goal. I'm done. And I will tell people constantly, it's like, look, just because you got to your goal weight does not mean you're done. Whether you like it or not, it's a never-ending process. Um, I don't want to have to lose 60 pounds again. So I'm not going to try to be that fat person again. I I don't want to be that fat person again. I don't want to be like that. So I'm never going to let myself get get like that. But do I have my struggles? Absolutely. Will I continue? Absolutely. So I every year during my um, training, I I I kind of the summer is my like my off season. The summer late fall is usually my off season. And of course, last year, as we all know, I don't have to reiterate, 2020 was an interesting season for sure. So I didn't get to mountain bike race as much as I would have liked to. So I didn't have things to motivate me to train. Now, that is no excuse. There is no excuse. But I did gain some weight last year, as I often do in in um, in the off season. But I probably gained a little bit more than I should have, or maybe not. This is my birthday of last year, which would have been my 50th birthday. My brother and I had a blast in Nashville, celebrating in Nashville. And if you look at me on the left, I mean, yeah, I might not look fat to most people. Um, but look at my belly down at the bottom. You can see that biscuit belly there. You can tell I'm not, you know, I'm not sporting a six-pack. But um, notice one thing with the picture, too, is that I'm not – and if you look at the picture of me after my initial weight loss back in 2010, you know, my arms weren't that big. I did not have that much muscle mass. Um, and partly because I wasn't lifting anymore. But this goes to show you too, after 50 years old or after 40 years old and in your 50s, you can still maintain lean body mass. You can build lean body mass. And it's so important to build lean body mass. That's why I don't necessarily worry too much about gaining weight in the off season because it gives me a chance to build lean body mass. It's tough when you're training, you know, as an endurance athlete, when you're training 12 to 15 hours a week, it can be tough to maintain, to, to build lean body mass. So use, use your off season to do that. And that's what, I, that's what I would do. So I would hit the gym a little bit harder um, in the off season to help, to help maintain my lean body mass. But so I decided I got on the scale and I was 198.8. Yes, for somebody that's five, six and a half. Um, depending on who's measuring, my wife will say I'm five six. Sometimes I say five. I usually say five seven. Anyway, doesn't really matter. But if you look at my BMI, my BMI for 198 at 227, or I mean at uh, five foot seven or five foot six, is probably morbidly obese. I'm not sure, but it probably is close to. But let's talk about BMI, which my twin brother, Shane, who obviously is sitting, standing there beside me, 
um, you know, he weighs almost 200 pounds. In that picture, he probably is close to 200. Well, as you can see, that means his BMI would mean he's morbidly obese. As you can see, neither one of us are morbidly obese by any means. So um, BMI can be very, very misleading. Now, for those of you that don't have a lot of lean body mass or don't have a lot of muscle, BMI might be a pretty good goal, okay? So don't throw BMI out the don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. BMI might be a good goal for some people, but not for everybody. Actually, Shane and I are going to be discussing in a few months how different ways to measure body fat. And so you don't want to miss out on that episode because we will talk about BMI in more detail and we will talk about different ways to measure body fat. And my brother being a bodybuilder, he knows all about measuring body fat. So you don't want to miss out on that episode. But I decided at 198.8, um, I'm going to make some changes. So um, I knew, you know, race season was going to be starting in January. It starts early on the west side of the state. And, you know, usually my my A races are like in April and May. So I wanted to start doing something. And so I started I started doing intermittent fasting and and kind of kind of keto. Now I will tell you this that two things. First of all, let me just back up. First of all, when it comes to diet, we have talked about it many times in this show. You have to do what works for you. Every diet is different for everybody. And, you know, um, keto doesn't work for everybody. Intermittent fasting doesn't work for everybody. And let's define what keto is or what is keto for one person might not necessarily be keto for another person. Now, I get that. If you're really doing it scientifically and you want to be in ketosis, then in theory, you could just hit a number uh, for what your ketones are and you're, you know, you're, you're doing keto. Um, I can tell you this, I've, I've done keto type diets before and I don't think I'll ever be an endurance athlete. It's very, very difficult to actually do keto. Now I know people out there that there's a lot of people out there that will tell you that endurance athletes can do keto. Well, I had a, I had my coach on, my coach, Jason Jablonski. Thank him very much. He's a, he trains national champions. He has talked to world champions. He's an endurance athlete himself. Nobody he really knows on the national or world stage in endurance athletes does keto. And I know there's going to be some people that can argue that, oh, there's these keto athletes that drink oil and they eat sardines and all this kind of stuff. And, and they do very well. Well, I, I mean, most endurance athletes just don't do that. Now, it also depends on what kind of endurance athlete, what kind of intensity you're working out at, a lot of different things. But you got to do what works for you. I can tell you, I don't think I'll ever actually truly be able to be in ketosis because I just, when I train, I eat carbs. Now, when I don't train, I don't eat carbs. So my keto type diet was I limit my carbs. And I will tell you, I think that helps quite a bit. First of all, there's a lot of carbs that are processed, whether it be bread or tortillas or, or pasta or whatever. And so I would really try to limit those, especially my days off. And um, that helped me with my weight loss, but also intermittent fasting. So Mondays are usually typically my, my days off. And so on Mondays, I would eat a lot less carbs and I would fast and or fast. And depending on, on my workout schedule, I could fast too, depending on what kind of workout it was. If it was a shorter workout, if it was a low intensity workout, I could fast. Let's talk about low intensity workouts. Um, I fasted, the longest I fasted on a ride is three and a half hours. And really what that did is it 
I didn't, I didn't fuel at all for three and a half hours. And at a low intensity, your body, your body doesn't need necessarily to, to burn, to burn glucose or to burn glycogen. So there's many different sources of fuel in our body. Glucose is our first source of fuel and probably our preferred source. Now, the keto haters out there, or not the keto haters, but the keto people out there are going to hate me for saying that. Yes, we can adapt our body to burning fat, but just look at the Krebs cycle. Glucose is what powers the cell initially, and it's a preferred way. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that too when we talk about when I talk about data-driven fasting and how we check our glucose to make sure for we have our hunger trigger or not. So stay tuned for that just a little bit. So it's glucose in our blood, which actually there's only, believe this or not, there's only five grams of glucose floating around in our blood. So if you think about that, five times 3.5 calories, there's like 20 calories floating around in our blood, which means, you know, if you're doing, you're burning a thousand calories an hour in intensity, you burn through that in just a few minutes. But our glycogen storage, we have anywhere from a pound to a pound and a half of glycogen um, in our liver. And in our thighs, there are major storage. And, and actually, we even at high intensity, at 1,000 calories an hour, most of us have enough glycogen that we can sustain ourselves on glycogen for an hour and a half. So you don't usually have to fuel until after that. Well, you got to fuel before or, or it'll catch up to you. But so um, after you burn through that, you, you've got fat and muscle to burn. But that's a little bit more difficult to burn. And that's why in high-intensity exercise, you do need to fuel with some type of glucose during the exercise um, to to have the best performance. But it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is truly weight loss from exercising, then that's fine. You don't have to fuel because most all of us, even if we have 5.9% body fat, have enough fat on us to fuel most all of our exercise for days. So if your goal is weight loss and not performance, then by all means, you know, don't necessarily fuel. So but that's what I started doing. I started doing low carb, not necessarily keto, but lower carb. And remember, that's all relative too. Um, you know, lower carb, depending on the day, could mean 100 grams of carbs instead of 300 grams of carbs. I know that sounds like a lot, but you know, if you're burning them, it's not that much. So it depends on it depends on the day. And I'm a big believer in eating around your workouts, eating around your activity. I should say. Um, and if you think about how we did that, our ancestors did that, that's exactly what they did. They would go on a hunt. They would hunt all day long. And then the last few minutes of the hunt, they would sprint and burn some calories. And then they would get the reward and they would eat and they would feast for maybe a day, maybe two days. Um, then they'd go out, they'd go do it again. And for those two days, they might not have any food. Um, yeah, maybe some hunters, maybe some gathering stuff with some berries and stuff, but not a lot of calories. So our bodies are meant to be in a fasting state a lot and our bodies are great at at having reserve to prepare us for that that's how we that's why we produce fat so we have storage of excess calories um, to prepare us for for times of you know where we're fasting or starvation necessarily but um, unfortunately in america most of us have an unlimited food source and we never get into that mode so you have to you have to uh, you have to do that purposely. So 
That's what intermittent fasting is. When we talk about intermittent fasting, what is intermittent fasting? What is intermittent fasting to me versus somebody else or to anybody? You know, you hear about the terms 16 and I want to make sure I get this right, 16 and 8 or um, I'm sorry, it would be, yeah, and it would be 18 and 6, um, 24 and 4. I mean, sorry, 20 and 4, which means you fast for 20 hours and you have a four-hour eating window. Now, I will tell you that there are some people that promote an intermittent fasting that that you during your eating window, you can eat anything you want. And I'm just not necessarily a believer in that. Um, you know, there's an obesity code book out there um, that Dr. Jason Fung wrote. And I think it's a great book. Um, and I think he makes some great points. But um, one of the things that he talks about is that, you know, and I, and I bet if you talk to him, he might have some more details about it. And I have met him at a conference before, but never talked to him about this detail. But some some people say that during the, during the eating window, you can eat anything you want. Um, and I just don't necessarily think that that is true. I, I, I still believe in eating clean food. It doesn't rot. Don't eat it. And you're, you're much better off. And satiating food with high-quality protein. And I, I just dare anybody – I dare anybody to eat too much meat. I dare anybody to eat too much red meat, too much bacon, too much, uh, too much um, chicken. I, I dare anybody. And I, and you, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I, in fact, part of my diet is, you know, when I lost weight was carnivore. I ate a lot of carnivores type stuff, and um, it's so satiating. I'm a big believer in it. I don't think we eat. Most of us don't eat enough meat. So um, that was part of the part of the process too. Um, and you know, or eggs. I mean, try to eat too many eggs. I mean, I, I'm lucky if I can eat three eggs and that's 210 calories. Yesterday, I ate nothing but bacon for breakfast after a good workout. And I, I couldn't eat more than 500 calories of bacon. I mean, you know, that's not very much. I mean, think about in processed foods. I mean, a Snickers bar is 250. And yeah, I can eat two of them. Easy. And, and not deal full. So that's why it's important to eat real food. So... Um, I started that journey and I just, you know, I had a goal to lose, oh, at first two to three pounds a week. And then as it got closer to my goal weight, I was just losing a pound a week. So um, last week I actually met my goal. My initial goal was 175 and then I made another goal of 170. And then um, my wife and I are kind of doing it together. So we, I, I made another goal with her, and that goal is 162. And, and, and Lindsay, if you can show that picture. That was last week or the week before? Week before last, I think. There is my picture after I lost the weight. And that's after I was uh, – was, uh, 161.2 was my low. And I, will I actually stay at that weight? Um, probably not. Um, you know, I'm – my goal is probably 165 to 170. I'm going to stay between there. Um, but here's one thing I want you to notice. If you remember my picture back that I shared earlier in the episode about my initial weight loss in 2010, um, you know, if you look at, I do not have near the muscle mass that I had then. I'm not as lean as I was. I'm leaner now, and you know, obviously, um, you know, my legs are way bigger. Uh, my arms are bigger, and you know, my abs are 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 definitely more pronounced. So a couple things about that. That is due to training. That is due to exercise. It doesn't matter how skinny you get. If your muscles are not developed, 
you're not going to have them. Yes, that includes abs. Um, there are a lot of skinny people out there and they don't have abs. Um, and even when I was, if you, I don't have any picture with my shirt off or at least not to show, I don't think. But um, even if you look at my picture back six months ago, seven months ago, before I lost the weight, I still had muscle mass. I, I've shown you that. And I still had some abs. They weren't as as defiant as they are now after I lost some body fat. But I still had obliques and things like that. But my my lower abs weren't as developed. So, But why? Because I trained my abs. I trained my arms. I trained my legs. And I trained those muscles. You have to develop those muscles to actually show them. It um, doesn't matter how thin you are. If you don't develop them, they're not going to show. So, So one of the tools I picked up most recently over the last few months is we had um, when it comes to fasting. So what fasting works for you? What's best? Is it is it 16 and 8? Is it 18 and 6? Is it 20 and 4? What is best? And do we have any numbers to, you know, any data to, to show what is best? Well, welcome to data-driven fasting. Um, a couple months ago, we had uh, Marty Kendall on our program and he talks, he's from Australia and he is doing a program called data, data driven fasting. And what is data driven fasting? So first of all, a little story about him. I don't know what episode that was, but if you look him up on our YouTube, just uh, look, go to our YouTube channel, the Moses Lake professional pharmacy YouTube channel um, and look him up, look, you know, inside our channel, um, search data driven fasting or search Marty Kendall and you'll find him and you and that episode will come up. But it's a great episode on data-driven fasting. Now, his he's his wife is a type one diabetic, so as we've talked about before, you know, type one diabetes is a you know carbohydrate metabolism problem. Um, you know, type one diabetics lack insulin, and they have to check their glucoses regularly. Their blood glucose, which is the main fuel for our, for our bodies. They have to check their glucose regularly so they can decide how much insulin they, how much exogenous insulin they need to, to um, sustain themselves. Um, he was on our program and he started this program with his wife, I think 17 or 18 years ago to, um, you know, kind of monitor glucose and not just in diabetics, but himself. And he started with other people and it's called data-driven fasting. So if our glucose is high, we really shouldn't be hungry because that means that we have, like I just discussed, we have fuel in our body. We have glucose in our blood. Where's that glucose coming from? Could be coming from our food sources that we just ate. Um, could be coming from our glycogen. Either way, if our glucose is high, then we shouldn't we shouldn't necessarily be hungry and we shouldn't be eating. Now, I will tell you that varies a lot, and and this program actually has um, an application in there to allow for the variance, but it does vary with exercise. There's many times my glucose has been a little bit elevated. Um, and yet I just got an exercising and I am hungry, really, really hungry. So based on just that number, I shouldn't be hungry, but because of the exercise trigger, um, cause exercise can actually increase glucose due to its effects on cortisol. And if your body is burning glucose, cortisol really makes you release glucose. And if your body is burning glucose, your body wants to make more glucose. So I've that's one thing I've learned from from this data driven fasting. Also, checking my glucose is you know, how exercise affects it. So that's important. And what kind of foods affect it? So that's important. So with data driven fasting, 
you check your glucose and you check it for like five days to get your your baseline and your baseline glucose, what it should be, and then what your hunger trigger should be. And so you check your glucose. It's super easy. I'm going to do a video um, on – it's just a finger prick. Um, most meters check will will read in five seconds. It's super easy now. A lot better than it was you know, 30 years ago when you needed a lot more blood and the meters took 30 seconds to read. They're super fast. It's inexpensive now. It's, it's, it's inexpensive technology. It's inexpensive. The meter's inexpensive. Um, you'll need to get lancets and, you know, things to poke your finger and stuff. That's, I'll go into that in another video, um, later on about checking your, checking your glucose. But so it's really interesting to see what different foods do to your body. And I will tell you one thing is like processed foods. Oh my gosh, everybody's body's different, but processed foods, it's amazing how little you have to eat. I mean, 50 calories of a processed food sometimes will just spike your glucose, um, and you, you might be surprised what it does too. Um, spike is all relative also. Spiking for somebody is not, you know, as drastic as somebody else. But um, coffee, I drink coffee with creamer and um, stevia. And creamer actually, you know, does increase your glucose. We can say all we want about, you know, when um, people in keto talk about eating fat a lot and, and um but what does it do to their glucose? A lot of times they don't check that. They're just checking their, their ketones. Now, there are programs where they check their glucose and their ketones. But, um, you know, what does what does that cup of coffee do to your blood glucose? How long does it take to come down? That's what this data-driven fasting program is all about. So at Mose Lake Professional Pharmacy, we are starting the data-driven fasting challenge. We're actually starting it July 17th. Uh, we are including it in the link in this Facebook stream. So you can go down there and click on that link. Here, here it is right here. Um, go ahead and scroll up, Lindsay, and show them what they get with this challenge uh, at the very top of the blue. So here's one thing you get with a challenge. No, keep scrolling. Keep scrolling. Keep scrolling. Oh, maybe not. No, you're right. I thought there was something more. There's everything you get with it. You get it. It's a 30-day program. It's $37. Um, it's a way to find out what kind of fuel your body needs and when you should be eating, when you shouldn't be eating. So those of you that have tried intermittent fasting and have failed at it, here's a perfect way to help to help prevent your struggles because you failed at it because you didn't necessarily know when your body should be fasting and when it shouldn't. So um, there's a lot of good information here. It's a data-driven fasting app you get, which is a, it's a web-based app. It's not through the app store. You get a, a manual about how to be successful. Um, there's plenty of videos you share too. One of the, one of the greatest things about this, I've been a member for a month or so now of a challenge. And one of the greatest thing about it is there's a community of of people in the challenge big community where um there are regular posts and there's a lot of support through that and we all know that when we have support with any kind of of issue it makes us be more successful so um use the link that we we're going to be sharing it to um in in another facebook post we're going to create an event also so stay tuned for that but use the link in the facebook um in our Facebook comments to find out more about it. There's a big, as Lindsay was scrolling through that, you could probably see how much information is there. A lot of good information. There's a lot of good information too that is available that we'll also be sharing with that when it comes to 
um, optimizing nutrition, and there's a podcast on that. And Marty Kendall has done a great job of just helping to educate individuals um, about data-driven fasting and um, you know how to be successful with it. So, and you know, my goal ne- wasn't necessarily um, my goal wasn't necessarily to lose weight when I started the program because I was already on track to 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 meet my goal weight. My goal was. To actually check, I never really checked my glucose that much and find out what happened, what happens to my glucose um, when, how does my glucose respond? So um, I'll be talking more about this, about these issues as we, as we go through this challenge. So as always, you can, you know, um, message me, um, comment, let me know if you have any questions, Um, but click that link and check out more and you can um, sign up for it. We are going to do the challenge, like I said, July 7th it starts which is you know just in a couple weeks so um yeah so that's pretty much it for my show today i I appreciate everybody everybody listening in and um you know journeying along with me with my with my weight loss journey i i really like sharing my story for a few reasons i think it's inspiring to a lot of people and i get i get people that say they're inspired by my weight loss and i'll tell you i share my i share my story and i post regular updates here's one of the reasons why it keeps me accountable. I really, you know, I, I preach health and wellness. We preach health and wellness at our pharmacy. It wouldn't look very good for me to, you know, to, to, to go backwards and to, to be super unhealthy at that, you know, 227 pounds again. So that's why I'm sharing this journey to also make me accountable. So Tuesday, we're closed on Monday. That's right. Fourth of July. I want you guys to everybody have a safe, wonderful fourth of July and think about, think about what it really means. Um, Fourth of July is Independence Day. What does that mean? Um, I think during these times, we need to really realize what Independence Day means. Independence Day means we were liberated from a king. We became independent from a kingdom. We became independent in our own country because we had tyrants telling us what to do, whether it be taxation, whether it be many different issues. I just want you to think about that. You know, you know, I preach liberty quite commonly, and especially in healthcare. And I think we should still have liberty in many, in most any areas. We should have liberty, and we should be able to make our own choices, especially our own health choices. I just want you to think about this over the last year, and think about it in the future too. There's a lot of push from tyrants and government officials on to tell us how to take care of our health. Well, guess what? I today went over the best way for you to take care of your health. And it doesn't have to do with getting some shot. It doesn't have to do with getting some drug. It has to do with you taking control of your health yourself. And that includes diet, exercise, and sleep. So I hope I did teach you that today. My goal of this podcast, as it always has been, is to educate and empower individuals to take care of their own health. So I hope I did that today. We have a doctor on. She is a podiatrist, and she is, we've never had a podiatrist on before, and she is going to be talking, uh, obviously, podiatry, um, all things the foot. She specializes in surgery, and she is a cash-only podiatrist, which means she's not taking insurance. Um, you guys have that follow my podcast know what I think about the whole health insurance model and how it rips people off and makes things more expensive. Well, she decided to get out of it, get out of it, and take care of people the way she wanted to instead of the way the government or an insurance company did. So um, I, I appreciate her and I applaud all 
healthcare providers that get out of the racket of billing insurance so they can be in charge along with their patient of how they take care of them. So no longer an accessory to the crime. We have been liberated at Mose Lake Professional Pharmacy and not billed insurance since 2002. We were pioneers in that field, and I am super proud of that fact. So, um, And now there's a lot of people following in our footsteps. So thank you all for listening and tuning in today. Uh, Tuesday, have a happy and safe 4th of July. Uh, Tuesday, 8.30 to 9.30 Pacific Standard Time. And you've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thanks for tuning in.